One Week Season. OWS fam, the nation, my dudes and dudettes. Hilo here bringing you the eighth installment. We've been doing this for two months now. That's insane. Bringing you the eighth installment of our Best Ball Theory podcast. We are recording right smack dab in the middle. First football game of the season. Football is back, baby. Let's hit those lobbies. Let's make some money. That said, Today's episode, we're going to talk about some roster archetypes. What does that mean? We hear people talk about player archetypes, archetypes, but not really much is going on in the sense of roster archetypes. Is we're going to cover like what a zero running back roster looks like. What does that mean? Hero, superhero running back, robust running back, and kind of tie it all together with a discussion at the end with my guest for. This episode, you know him very well. He wrote uh, an article for the Best Ball Plus um, that we just released this week regarding this subject. So naturally, I had to have him on for this episode. And that is my dude, Pappy. What is going on, dude? Hey, how's it going, man? Uh, Excited to be here, even though we got football on in the background, but that's kind of the best way to do it. Yeah, man, as Snoop Connor goes for two yards on his second carry. Let's go. Football's back, baby. <laughs> Football is back, dude. I I was stoked today to get to tinker with lineups, man. It was it was amazing. Let's get some showdown cooking. Let's get some best ball. This is my favorite time of year. But anyway, in I'm gonna <laughs> I preface this a little bit. I wanted to this podcast be just a regurgitation of your article. If you don't know what article i'm talking about you can gain access to all of the amazing best ball content all of the training all of the theoretical concepts that we uh, in written form and we go a little bit in more in depth uh into the best ball uh theoretical app best ball plus it is ridiculous it is available to everyone for a dollar this year which is absolutely absurd if you haven't checked that out highly recommend you do so That is majority of those articles. You can get the first snippet, the first piece, the first intro paragraph, whatever you want to call it for free should get you hooked to continue reading for $1. But in your article, man, you uncover some good stuff about what a roster should look like when rosters being built in a best ball contest, you know, from the lens of like, what is the highest upside way to draft it? to draft a hero running back, superhero, robust running back, all these things which you covered. But the curveball that I'm going to throw you here is what is your take on why we look at these archetypes or how we're building these rosters through the lens of the running back position? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's interesting because when you look at the industry, you know, we're using these terms, hero RB, superhero RB, as you can see, you know, we're a really creative group. Um, And everything kind of focuses around the running back position. And so when you think about that, as to why, why are we not talking about superhero receiver or super tight end? You know, why is it running back? And 
I think that that's probably because the way that you handle running back dictates your roster more than any other position. Um, and that's because there's scarcity at running back. And so when you're looking at RBs, you're kind of planning how you want to allocate your resources to that position, maybe more so than even the players that you're taking. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the first round RBs, right, all the guys in the first round, I'll even throw in like Mixon and Swift and Jones, you know, the guys going in the early second round. You look at all those guys. Can you really tell me which one is going to be the best? I mean, sure, you could pick Taylor or McCafferty, you know, the guys up at the top. But hey, Eckler could outperform them in PPR for sure. I mean, depending on how touchdowns break, a lot of the other first round running backs could outperform either one of them. So when you think about it, you're almost trying to decide your allocation of resources at RB more so than you're even trying to decide what players you pick. And so I think that maybe we talk about that in that way because what you decide in terms of, am I going to use two picks on RBs? Am I going to use one pick RB? That really is going to set up the rest of your roster, almost independent of the players you choose. That's interesting. I like that answer. And why I like that answer is, well, there's there's reasons why I like that, and there's reasons where I guess I can I can have my own talking points, I guess, to not refute that, but a, a different perspective. The reason why I like that is the thing that I pulled out of your response was the positional scarcity. Um, that as an it's, it's it's not about like, hey, we have to start two running backs, we have to start three wide receivers. It's more about how many running backs are available, like starting running backs in the league. And I mean, the easy answer is 32. There's 32 teams. Whereas wide receiver, even though we have to start three, there are 64 or play 11 personnel and they start off, you know, play heavy 80. Look at the, look at the Buffalo bills who are in 11 personnel, like 80 plus percent of the time. So there's three starting wide receivers on that team, but it's an interesting dynamic when we talk about like, why we view how you build a roster through the running back position. And I think that it is, I would say my rebuttal or my, my other viewpoint of that answer is it probably has a fairly large thing to do with where the NFL game was when some of these concepts and stuff started coming out. You know, you look at back at the first like zero RB article that came out, which was five years ago now, right? Like the NFL game was that was like smack dab in the middle of like the David John Bell, uh, like super crazy workload running back era. We just don't see that really anymore in today's NFL. I mean, look at Jonathan Taylor, he finished RB1. A lot went into that, you know. 26 or whatever carries inside the five probably didn't hurt, but like he even, he wasn't playing like the offensive snaps. We just don't see that in today's NFL game. So that is why I asked that. We still thinking about how we're constructing a roster through a position that used to, than it does now, uh, which I think is an, an interesting perspective and, and, approach to how we're thinking about how we're building these rosters because i think that the majority of the field is still looking at a roster through the lens of like running back first and then how does the rest fall in so i wanted to surprise you with that i wanted to lead with that uh 
answer. What say you on kind of my rebuttal there? Uh, yeah, so I would I would agree with um, you know kind of what you're saying. The position scarcity is the is the most important thing, uh, and that you know we're in a an era where we don't really have RBs that just get all the work anymore. Jonathan Taylor being a great example. I mean, what we saw with CMC before his injuries might be the last time we really see somebody that uh, plays every snap at the running back position. So. Uh, I think that that's true. And an interesting take on kind of when you're saying, hey, you know, RBs, maybe uh, the every down RB, that's not really the, the crux of the game anymore. Uh, a very interesting concept that's not in my article and something that I think is very important in best ball that is very often not talked about is the importance of trying to land two top 12 quarterbacks. That's something that I learned kind of along the way. I definitely didn't take that approach at all. Um, last year. And then looking at some of the evidence, you can see that there's a huge benefit uh, if you can get two top 12 quarterbacks on your roster in best ball. And so that kind of um, made me take the approach of, well, I'm still kind of thinking, am I doing hero RB, superhero RB, zero RB, all that stuff. But I also really want to focus on getting two quarterbacks I think will be in the top 12 or could be in the top 12. And so that means that if I'm drafting somebody uh, like a Jalen Hurts or a Kyler Murray or somebody that I feel pretty confident is going to be in the top 12. I don't really want to go much below like a Tua or a Lawrence or somebody that I think at least has a chance to be in the top 12. And I'd really much rather have a Cousins or a Rogers or back when you could get Trey Lance cheap, um, you know, somebody around round 9, 10 um, that I'm going to pair with a quarterback I might take in round 5, 6, or 7. And so I've done a lot of that in best ball. And I've done a lot of that in particular on underdog because something people don't factor scoring between fights. And if you look at the scoring on underdog, it's half point PPR. Uh, there's no bonuses and also five points for hundred yards passing. That's substantially different um, than the scoring that you see on DraftKings, where you're really going to want to focus on running quarterbacks and quarterbacks aren't going to score nearly as high of a percentage of the overall points that they're going to score on UD. So when I'm playing on UD, I'm thinking I really want two top 12 quarterbacks. When I'm playing on DraftKings, I'm thinking I really want one running quarterback and then maybe someone I think is going to be able to get into the top 12. So I think factoring those two things in and also really looking at what you do at quarterback is very valuable. Yeah, for sure. And I think the interesting distinction that you threw in there is not, it's not a top back based on ADP, right? It's a top 12 quarterback at the end of end of the year in, and we'll even say, we'll take that one step further and just say fantasy points per game, because that's obviously in a best ball format, what matters the most. So uh, I like that you threw that in there um, and definite interesting perspective. Uh, let's dig into some of these roster archetypes. What is zero running back? How would you define zero running back? So, uh, when you look at my article and there's many definitions of zero running back, but the one that I like the best is no running backs, um, before round three, uh, and only two running backs in the first 10 rounds. And the reason why I call that zero running back, and you may say, well, oh, if you're taking a running back in round four, that's not really zero running back. That's kind of one running back. Well, not really. Um, a big mistake that people make when they draft a zero RB roster is that they go full zero RB. You never want to go full zero RB. <laughs> and, what I mean, and what I mean by that is, is that 
you don't want to draft no one who's going to get you any points in the first six weeks of the year. So all you do is take running backs from the, I need an injury or pass catchers tier. And then you're like, all right, well, someone's going to get hurt and I'm going to end up with this monster team with all these receivers. But the reality is uh, by the time week seven, eight comes around and that injury happens, you haven't had any running backs scoring for half the year and you're already too far behind. So you really need at least two players that you think are going to do something um, without needing an injury. And so when I say that my guidelines are no running back drafted until at least round four, no running backs or no more than two running backs in the first 10 rounds. Um, the idea is there, Hey, maybe you use a pick in round four or five and are pick in round seven, uh, on running backs. The team that I give as an example in my article took acres in the fourth round and took miles Sanders in the seventh round. Um, and then no running backs until after the 10th. So you see there's still two guys on there that hopefully in the first couple of weeks of the season are going to have a role, a lead role, uh, and be able to score me some points while I hopefully wait, uh, you know, for that Dalvin Cook injury that's going to make Madison a star. So uh, I think that that is a big mistake that people make. And I think the other mistake that people make when they do zero RB rosters is they don't draft enough running backs. Um, it's very tempting to just take four, take five, because you want to have all these receivers that are going to score you points. But if you're not drafting any running backs until at least round four, uh, and you're only taking two in the top 10 rounds, you probably have four or five receivers on that roster that you think are going to be weekly starters for you. And so you're basically just saying, hey, for this team to be successful, those four or five receivers have to have a good year. They have to be playing for me all year. So I'm going to draft seven running backs. My preferred roster construction would be a 2772 on underdog for a um, zero RB team in hopes that that gives me five chances uh, to catch that injury that really sets a zero RB team up for success. Yeah, the, I, I like that. And I think my answer for what I would think the biggest mistake on zero running back rosters uh, is that people are not making every other position elite when they do it. It's like they, they'll start straight wide receivers and be like, oh, I'm zero running back. Check it out. Check me out, dude. It's like, well, I mean, you still have three other positions that you're completely neglecting. So I, I, and I know this isn't like per the initial article, but the way that I think of zero running back to make it so that I'm not making those mistakes is not selecting a running back until all the other starting positions on a roster. That's a little bit different even than your definition because you, you're, you, you, I guess at the running back position uh, a little bit the field would, we'll put it that way. Whereas if I am going, you know, and you, you don't, you never go into a draft, like thinking, Oh, based on my draft spot, this is going to be a, this roster. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is if the draft takes you a direction where the first, you know, what in on underdog, we got to start eight weekly or nine weekly. I can't remember. Nine, uh, yeah. Not, yeah, eight weekly, right? Eight One quarterback, weekly, right? two running backs, three wide receivers, tight end flex. Okay, so eight, yep. you have, if you don't take a running back until round eight, you would theoretically want to have a quarterback by then, a tight end by then, three wide receivers by your flex filled with uh, potentially a wide receiver or a tight end as well. That's the way I think about it for zero running back. And again, that's, the draft is just going to naturally take me there. I'm not planning on that. If that happens, that's what I'm looking to do by like five, six, something like that. If the vet 
such that I am putting in the effort to make a zero running back team. That is kind of how I'm thinking about it. It's not like I'm taking five wide receivers uh, in the first seven rounds and it's like I'm zero running back. No, because you're still leaving these massive gaps on your roster um, because the the whole premise of running zero running back construction is you want to be elite at the other positions, allow the injury variance to take over at the running back position because that has the value. If you think about it like that, like that is wham, bam, done. Like you in drafting zero running back rosters and tried to, in my own mind, I was like, how do I define the and encapsulate like the highest upside via it? And that's how I would define it. I want all the other positions to be filled before I take a running back. What say you about kind of that? So I like that. Uh, I like that definition. I think that's a very easy way to kind of think about it is, Hey, I want to be elite everywhere. And then I'm going to draft a running back. Uh, I would, my only caution would be, you know, don't get caught with a full zero RB team where you have nothing at RB and you're looking at like, okay, my top two RBs are, you know, Madison and Kareem hunt. And then after that, I have a bunch of guys that, you know, need an injury because uh, if that injury doesn't come, you know, that roster is sunk. And I know that you're, you're kind of betting on that injury, but that injury might show up in week six. It might show up in week seven. Um, you don't want to be out of it by then. And so uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, the fourth round doesn't have to be the seventh round. You might want to try to target running backs in the eighth or ninth round or the seventh and ninth round uh, after you maybe loaded up even more on some of those positions. Uh, but I think that, you know, the idea that I would try to convey is, don't go into it with absolutely nothing at RB. Make sure you at least have two guys that are going to do something for you and then draft seven running backs on, on UD. Um, you know, give yourself the maximum opportunity to hit one of those injury variances. But I think that if you're thinking about it the way you do, and if you say, hey, I'm going to be elite at all positions, um, and then I'm going to draft a running back, I think that's a very safe way to think about it. I think it's a very good way to think about it. Um, I think you're going to get a lot of good teams thinking about it that way. So I think it's a very, very good suggestion. And I think another important point that you made is uh, don't just draft seven wide receivers, right? Like the the zero RB team that I demonstrated in the article, I used my first four um, picks on, uh, or I think uh, I used my fourth pick on Anderson, but I still got Gabe Davis in the fifth. That was when his ADP was a little bit lower. So uh, I, you know, after I had those four receivers though, that were um, studs, I looked at tight ends. I looked at QBs. Um, I didn't just say, okay, let me just draft seven wide receivers. And so I think that is a very important point. The the follow-on point there with zero running back is floor at the position still matters. And the way that we're cautioning zero running back is by like banking on injury variants happening at the beginning of the season, because that's not always going to happen. It's not always going to happen so that it happens to the running backs that are in the most optimal position, like, you know, Madison using the example. So, the way that, or I guess the reason why I broke it down the way that I did is because through the early draft, when I completed all of my BBMs on underdog, you could get Rashad Penny in the 10th, 11th round. You could get, um, Hunt in the ninth and 10th round. Um, you could get Chase Edmonds in the 10th, 11th. These were Players that had higher floor, and and this is from a weekly perspective, players that had a highly weekly floor, a higher weekly floor than the field was giving them credit for. 
And so I could just like load up on the other positions and then take like Kareem Hunt in the ninth with Brashad Penny in the 10th and then <laughs> Chase Edmonds in the 11th. And it's like, this is per the definition of zero running back roster, but I have three RB potential RB twos on this roster. And it's like, that is a zero running back roster, but that is just littered with upside because the reason that those running backs were being drafted in the ninth, 10th, 11th round is because they had ambiguity associated with them. So that's an interesting point to bring up as well is it's, this isn't, I don't want listeners to be thinking about these archetypes based on ADP as much as the field is going to be basically talking. And I should, I should say the industry, the industry is talking about these archetypes based on ADP. And as we know, ADP is fluid in these large contests over a, you know, four month time window. What's going to happen? ADP is going to change. So I was targeting these running backs who I thought could jump into the fifth, sixth round where they would no longer be part of like a zero RB archetype. But now you're getting the floor, you know, with a four or five round discount. So again, I'm just cautioning against marrying the, this archetype talk to ADP because the fact that ADP is fluid. And then, you know, once I was getting those, you know, two of those three, or even all three of those guys, that's when you take, you have the floor established. That's when you take the shots on the Madison's that's when you take the shots on uh, the, you know, Isaiah Spillers, the the potential league winning upside guys, the Cooks, you know, those guys who have the the later league winning upsides. My boy, to Ernest Johnson, uh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I like those guys that you mentioned in their ADPs. I mean, you look at Chase Edmonds; he's becoming that guy, right? You know, there's a million articles written about him, and his ADP is going up from early summer around 115 all the way into still going up into the 80s. Um, you know, so he's just becoming that guy, that player. Uh, I have a lot of him early on, uh, you know, a zero RB team that I'm going to be uh, writing an article on coming up. I, I did a very similar thing to you said. I didn't take uh, a running back, I think, until round eight. And it was like Jacobs fell around. Little technical difficulties here. I'll try and figure that out real quick. You lost me. Can you still hear me? I got you again. You are back. Huh. Wonder what happened there. Yeah. So, uh, as I was saying, um, you know, I have, uh, Jacob Sanders and Edmonds on a team where I didn't take a running back till, uh, you know, round eight, I think. And so you feel like, Hey, on some of these early drafts where you drafted guys that had some ambiguity, uh, you can end up with a really, really strong team. Yeah, so that was uh, 100%, 100% agree. That was a, uh, there were some times, I'm going to like full transparency here, where, you know, drafting in this early window, knowing that I had these these targets in the ninth, 10th, 11th round um, that could jump so high in ADP, I did go into drafts, you know, purposely taking Travis Kelsey at pick seven or eight um, and forcing the issue a little bit because, I identified the fact that these zero RB rosters that I'm building now could turn into like impossible to build uh, here shortly. So again, that's a, you have to have the the understanding and the feel for ADP, for uh, fluidity, 
for identifying guys who could be jumping uh, to be able to pull that off. So I'm not saying like, hey, go ahead and force the issue now, because that's kind of gone away as we start to get for more information. And that goes into, you know, another reason why I wanted to max uh, my BBMs on underdog before we started to get this more information and before um, some of these dynamics in ADP made it so that I could not build rosters the same way. Uh, but yeah, that's an interesting thought, interesting dynamic. Um, and again, just cautioning against like marrying ADP to these kind of archetype builds. Uh, I think we sufficiently smashed zero RB. Shall we continue? You think? Yeah, we'll probably move on. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Um, let's talk about hero running back. Why don't you define that for us? And then we'll, we'll jam about what, uh, what you're seeing there. So uh, hero running back is probably my most commonly used um, strategy going into this. And, you know, you never want to go into a draft thinking I'm going to do this or that. You know, you always want to kind of let the draft happen. But hero running back has been the main thing that, uh, you know, the main strategy I've taken. And the parameters or guidelines that I kind of think of when I think of zero RB is that you, or hero RB is that you select one running back in the first or second round. Uh, and then you don't take any run, other running backs until at least round seven to nine. and the idea behind Hero RB is actually sort of similar to Zero RB, but you're basically saying in the first or second round when there's studs available and there's a guy who could potentially be the overall, overall RB1 uh, or at least a top five running back that's going to start and fill my RB slot uh, every single week, it's worth it to go ahead and grab him right now before I essentially start pounding all of the other positions uh, and then utilize a very similar strategy to zero RB where you're trying to grab some of those guys in the uh, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth round that we discussed. So the the benefit, I think, to the hero RB over the zero RB um, is that if you hit that one guy, uh, if you get a guy that's a top five RB or hopefully the overall RB one, that's an enormous boost because of the scarcity at the running back position and because it's taking up one of your running back slots basically every single week because whoever the RB1 or a top five RB is is probably going to be making your roster um, you know, every single week. So when you think about that, uh, it gives you a lot of floor uh, with even a little bit of ceiling at running back. And it doesn't cost you that much uh, in terms of if you pound all the other positions the rest of the way until the later round. So I think it's a nice touch on zero RB. I think that it gives you a better floor and it gives you a chance to hit uh, the potential RB one overall. So that's uh, a lot of the way that I've gone is that hero RB. And when I'm drafting, I'm trying to be kind of flat in my exposure to all of the first round or even some of those early second round RBs, because uh, I think a mistake that I made last year was I was really high on Derrick Henry and so I kind of loaded up on him in the first round whenever I could, you know, anytime that he fell or I maybe drafted him a pick early. I was just trying to get a lot of Derrick Henry. And boy, was that great in the beginning of the year. And I had all these teams that I thought were going to do all these great things. Uh, and then Derrick Henry goes down and misses the rest of the year and your season is sunk. So I think this year, um, something learning from that is that I'm really trying to spread out my hero RB exposure. I'm trying to have uh, hero RB teams with all of those first round, early second round RBs at, as the hero, uh, with the idea that one of them is going to be a hero, and that team then could you know end up going far. Yeah, that's a that's a lesson that I learned pretty heavily last year as well, um, and something that I wanted to um, basically 
uh, I guess fold into my process for best ball very early this season was the fact that like, we all know that running backs is, is the most, uh, I guess injured position because they take such a, a weekly beating. They're asked to carry between the tackles where they're, you know, getting tackled or piled upon by multiple 300, 325, 350 pound, even sometimes, uh, defensive tackles where it's like, or nose tackles, like their job is to inflict pain on these running backs. So by not overexposing to early round running backs, you're able to give yourself some more outs to, you know, creating these super teams. I don't necessarily subscribe to the same mindset for the other positions because the other positions, the injuries are typically not more predictable but occur less often because you're always going to have these freak accidents. You're always going to have players playing on, you know, turf glide turf fields where uh, it increases injury rates for Achilles. It increases injury rates for ACLs, MCLs uh, for these injuries that are season ending. Right. So with that in mind, I basically agree with your, the, the big point in what you were saying there in the sense that spreading exposure to the running backs that you would be utilizing for the hero uh, in your hero running back builds is a highly, highly, uh, I guess, exploitative and smart thing to do in the sense that it, it's not going to cripple a large chunk of your portfolio in you know the span of one play. That said, the reason that hero running back provides as much upside as it does is because it still gives you exposure to the running backs with the highest per game or per week ceiling. You know, these guys, we have no idea uh, these backup running backs, if they're going to come in and fill the same role as a starter did. We have no idea if they're going to be given 20 plus touches a game. There are teams that we can, I guess, project or predict or expect that to be the case a little bit more than others. And that is why when, you know, early on in this podcast series, I went over the fact that I switched from drafting backup names to targeting teams. And the reason that I did that is because, you know, the Seattle Seahawks with Rashad Penny last year, um, the Tennessee Titans is a bad example because I don't think that they had a player who could still fulfill the same role as Derrick Henry. I think that might have changed this year with the drafting of Hassan Haskins, but that's a different story. Uh, but these teams where we can expect the running back to, you know, maintain a, a fairly heavy involvement um, where we can expect, again, a lot of the value at the running back position comes through the form of predictable volume. And that leads directly, obviously, is the highest predictor at the position for expected output. So with that said, if there are only, say, 12 ish running backs and teams where we can expect the running back to have a chance at like 25 plus 30 plus 35 plus point weeks that gives us additional exposure to those outcomes that's why that's the biggest upside of hero running back you're still paying particular or or additional attention to the higher variance positions in wide receiver and tight end but now you're giving yourself an outlet to those high, high spike week potential players and teams. Uh, that's kind of how I think about that build, that archetype. Uh, any additions to to that spiel there? 
No, I think that that is uh, pretty much how I think about it, uh, too. And when you catch that top RB, it really does give you a huge advantage. And so kind of what I almost said in the opening, um, you know, if I were to tell you, hey, go ahead and put the top 10 RBs in the order that they're going to finish, you know, you could have a bunch of different orders there that could all be correct. So I think giving yourself flat exposure to them is really important. I concur 100%. Uh, let's move on to superhero running back. <laughs> I liked your reading through your uh, your best ball plus piece. Uh, this is where you really got me. I was I was laughing out loud as I was cooking dinner, uh, prepping for this podcast earlier. Um, but <laughs> you mentioned something that was kind of a, an industry dig about the fact that, like, like, hey guys, we're really <laughs> we're really like. I don't know. I forget the. We're really creative in our name. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about superhero running back. Yeah, so superhero running back, right? The uh, big brother of hero running back, I guess, is kind of exactly what it sounds like. We're taking hero running back and we're making it super by adding a second one. So, the idea behind superhero RB is that you have two running back slots. And depending on your draft slot and who's available or who falls, uh, you can have two guys that may be uh, top five RBs. And if you can nail two guys that are top five RBs, you really don't have to worry about RB uh, essentially at all because they're going to fill your two RB slots the rest of the year. So um, the way that I see superhero RB rosters working out for me and where I kind of try to look at, hey, maybe this is going to be a superhero RB roster is usually when I have a top pick like a top three pick or even a top five pick Um, and the reason for that is because if i'm able to grab like a jonathan taylor or a cmc and then we're coming to the back end of the second round and a lot of those receivers that you would really like to get in that top tier aren't there anymore uh maybe you know mark andrews is gone and so you don't really want to go and you're looking at guys like Fournette or possibly Aaron Jones might still be there. And you think to yourself, hey, um, does Fournette have you know the upside to be a top five RB? Well, sure, he has the upside to be the number one overall RB if he gets all this work in Tampa and gets the touchdowns. Uh, and you pair him with someone like JT or... I could have two guys here that are in the top five in RB. So let's go for that. Uh, take them both, not really worry about running back anymore. If you do a superhero RB team, uh, you really shouldn't have more than five RBs on your roster. Uh, You could even get away with having four in a lot of cases, but you really shouldn't have more than five. And if you do a superhero RB team, you don't want to use many more resources on RB, maybe one other guy between round seven to 10, and then nobody, uh, you know, until the later rounds, because you're banking on those two guys filling those running back slots basically every week. And the other thing that a superhero team uh, RB team is going to do is that you are going to be a little bit behind in terms of wide receivers, tight ends, and quarterbacks, because you're going into round three with none of those on your roster. So you have to catch up a little bit there and you're going to need to use pretty much all of your middle round picks, uh, trying to make sure that you have good QBs, wide receivers, and tight ends. So I think superhero RB, um, I mostly look for it early in drafts. Uh, You can sometimes catch it late in drafts if you have somebody fall. Uh, you know, if you end up with like a Dalvin Cook and a Joe Mixon or something like that. But typically, uh, when I'm looking for a superhero RB team, I want a CMC, a JT with one of those late second round running backs. Uh, and then from there, I'm not going to use another pick on a running back until much later. Yeah, um, I do not disagree, but I'm going to offer some game theory perspective on that answer. Um, 
The reason is because the field on their when they're executing superhero RB is with those early picks. So by them, you know, and this isn't this isn't like everybody is doing it that way, but like majority of the superhero RB teams that you see drafted are begin with either CMC or JT, right? So by where I was looking to do this, utilizing that same thought process, I was looking to do this with the middle to later picks in the round because I thought that the frequency of the field building rosters, uh, I guess building superhero rosters from those spots was much less frequent. So I was, I guess, trying to do this with Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Swift is a good example. Dalvin Cook and Aaron Jones is a good example. Um, Dalvin Cook and Saquon Barkley is a good example. Uh, and I was trying to do that with you know those pairings in mind because I thought that the field was executing this draft, I guess, roster archetype draft process at a lower frequency from those middle to later uh, positions. Um, I saw a lot of middle to late positions are you know splitting up one running back one wide receiver through the first two saw obviously travis kelsey was in that range so a lot a lot of you know travis kelsey and a wide receiver in that range from those draft spots a lot of one running back and travis kelsey uh coming out of those middle to late draft spots so that's kind of why i shifted and i i do have some like cmc uh with Saquon Barkley when he was going like late second for forever, early third, uh, where I was just like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done until the 10th, 11th round. Um, but on the same, I guess along those same thought processes is a large, a large benefit of superhero running back is that you're paying for floor at the position early. You know, we, I talk a lot about like, what are we paying for in the first five rounds? We're well, paying for increased weekly floor because these are these guys who provide a heightened floor plus the potential for slate breaking, game breaking, week breaking, whatever you want to call it, upside. So if that's the case, one of the biggest mistakes that I see made from superhero running back rosters is adding floor in the ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th round as the RB3 and calling it like, oh, look, I, I added... Uh, dude, I'm sorry, listeners. I keep like <laughs> rosters. Rosters. Melvin duty here. <laughs> no, right. Well, he responded to a tweet. That's a bastard. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. So, like, adding a floor running back as your RB three to superhero running back rosters is just like strapping on that third condom. Like, you do not, you do not need that. You want Two to embrace. Yeah, exactly. Two was enough. You got the two superhero running backs at the beginning. You don't need a third condom. Like, let's embrace a little bit of the variance. Let's live a little. Let's use all the all the <laughs> the, the industry plugs right now that I'm trying to throw into one example. Um, let's variance with the third and fourth and running back that you're throwing onto these rosters because you've floor. You don't need that anymore. You don't need uh, AJ Dillon as your RB3. You don't need Tony Pollard as your RB3. You don't need Melvin Gordon. You don't need Kareem Hunt. That's a little bit different. Well, that's different. Oh, I'll just get into it. But obviously, like 
I've talked about Kareem Hunt. The upside is baked is not baked into his uh, ADP because there's a better than you know zero chance that at some point or Darius Johnson is going to get moved. Whatever. But that's the point: is you don't need these floor running backs as your RB three on a superhero running back team where you're already paying a premium for that floor. Uh, that's probably the biggest mistake I see made uh, on this archetype. Uh, any additions to that? Yeah, it's interesting that you said you you feel like the field was going for superhero RB teams more from the ba- uh, front end of drafts than back end of drafts because I kind of thought the opposite that what I was seeing was a lot of people who uh, would take CMC or JT would feel like, okay, I'm, I got a big time RB. I'm going to draft a receiver or a tight end if I can. Uh, and so I think that I was almost looking at it as kind of the opposite way of thinking, well, a lot of people that get that top RB uh, aren't going to invest in a superhero RB team because they're going to think, well, I'm already strong at RB. I'm going to go for wide receivers. And so that made me I think I like to do it from the top a little bit more than the bottom, but I really think that you can do it from top or bottom. You know, Mm -hmm. I mentioned a Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon team. Um, I think that the important thing is that you get two guys who you think can be top five running backs. And if you get two guys that you think can be top five running backs and you hit two top five running backs, well, you probably are going to have a pretty good chance of that team moving on. 100%. And a lot of that obviously comes down to injury variants, uh, especially at the running back position. Um, but yeah, if you, you hit top two top five running backs, uh, you are set in spades. Uh, and there's only so many have the upside to do that. And that's one of the benefits of this roster archetype. You know, that probably ends, I mean, for... <laughs> For a while, we were getting Saquon Barkley and Alvin Kamara in the third round. That's probably where that tier ends. You know, the top five overall at the position, uh, end of year finish. Uh, that's probably where it ends. Now, obviously, those guys are moving up. Um, DeAndre Swift is in that tier. You know, these guys who have legit upside for top five at the position, end of year finishes. And even more importantly than that is the weekly spike week potential. Uh, all right, I think enough has been said on that. Let's talk about robust, which is again, eh, I won't, I won't, I guess I won't frame it like that. Um, what is robust running back, and what are you seeing from the field here? So, uh, robust running back is kind of like what it sounds like. You are building robust running backs on your roster and building robustly. (laughs) Building robustly. Well, we got the alliteration in this name, right? So that's good for us. We got to give ourselves a pat on the back, right? We (laughs) We crushed it. (laughs) Yeah, we killed it. So robust. I mean, you could just think about like Jerome Bettis. He was a robust running back, but you know. So, <laughs> this robust. is not this is not draft Eddie Lacy and be done. <laughs> but, yeah, just get the most poundage that you can at running back, and that's robust running back now. <laughs> so what we want to do is uh, you want to draft running backs in your first two rounds, uh, and then another running back in rounds three to five. And so you have three running backs on your roster uh, that you think can finish pretty high up there. You would like to think you get three that could finish within the top ten, and. I would say to use this one a little bit more sparingly than some of the other ones. And it's not that it's necessarily a weaker strategy because if you have ADP falling to you and you're able to get um, another running back that you think can be a top 10 running back, then it's certainly not weak to have three of those on your roster. If you're going to have three top 10 RBs, the issue with 
a robust running back as a strategy, though, is that because you are investing so heavily in those three running backs, you really need them all to have a good year. And that means that you're going to need that third running back to play often in your flex slot. And running backs just don't produce spiked weeks at the same frequency that tight ends and wide receivers do in that flex spot. So that's really what it suffers from. If you can hit three top 10 RBs, then you're probably still going to see spiked weeks because you're going to have three RBs that are producing like crazy. So it's not as if it can't work. It certainly can. Um, But the main problem is, is that you're going to want that third RB to consistently be in the flex spot. Uh, If you go for a robust RB roster, I wouldn't really draft more than four on most teams. Um, If you do get up to five, do it because people are letting people slide to a criminally low ADP. Um, And the other thing is, if you do a robust RB team, you're going to be struggling most likely at the other positions. And so for a robust RB team to really work out, you probably need your league mates to let some quarterbacks, tight ends, and wide receivers slide um, that maybe they shouldn't. Now, if you're in a league where that happens, though, and you get a robust RB team with some other elites on it, it can certainly be a very dangerous team. So robust RB has its place, um, but I would utilize it when you think you can get three RBs that could finish in the overall top 10. I agree, and I'm going to take that one step further and say we've had windows in this draft, uh, overall draft window, draft season, where you could potentially be drafting three guys who could finish in the top five at the position. The example I used earlier was Saquon Barkley and Alvin Kamara were just chilling at the two, three turn for a long time. Uh, Kamara was even going late weeks there. So those, I took that window in the overall draft season as a, again, a, a place to stray from optimal because I, ADP is dynamic, ADP is fluid, and this might be the only chance where I can build a roster like this. So I was building CMC, Saquon, Camara teams and stopping there. I was building uh, like uh, um, DeAndre Swift and uh, Saquon Barkley teams and stopping there. Because like (laughs) potential for having three, building a roster where you have three running backs that could top five at the position in a points per game. Uh, again, best ball. We want to talk about like point per game upside, like being able to do that. That could be a legitimate like path to creating this. If all those running backs stay healthy. And again, I was taking that you in game theory and, and my approach to best ball this year, I was taking that one step further and like just stopping drafting running backs. I would build three running back teams. And that's why I did it is because there were running backs available in the second and third rounds that had top five at the position. And so I was capitalizing on the uncertainty, the biases, the whatever you want to call it in that particular, you know, snapshot in the draft window, because once Camara's situation, legal situation was settled or postponed or whatever, that would no longer be viable woke up to the fact that Saquon Barkley is like a top five running back in the league that would not be available anymore and viable. So I took that snap shot in the draft, forced the issue a little bit. And I probably got six, seven, 8% of my entire portfolio was these three running back builds. I was doing it via robust running back. There were 
rosters where I built as robust running back, where my RB3 was one of Rashad Penny or Kareem Hunt or uh, Chase Edmonds, because those were the guys that I identified as the likeliest to move up into the fifth, sixth round, which would still qualify as like a robust build at the end of draft season. So I started mixing that in a little bit. And again, this is all like, this is all theory, man. We have no idea like what's going to happen, but like I was trying to put myself in the most optimal position to win the most money if I got things right. And if I got things right by having three running backs in the top five, at the end of the year, like nobody's going to have rosters with where they. Uh, and that's kind of where my ideas of the three running back builds came from. And it's this discussion on robust running back. Say you Pappy. Yeah, I like, I like the idea of even going just three. Um, you know, typically I would go four, but I would say that three makes sense too, because you just need those three guys to have a top 10 or top five year. And if they don't, then that team's probably not going to work out anyway. So why not just, you know, gamble that they do and load up everywhere else? Maybe your receivers um, aren't as strong overall in terms of the players that you have, but you have a lot more of them. So you have more of a chance, um, you know, to hit. And I think that uh, a thing that people don't do enough of uh, when they're drafting is changing their player allocation and their roster construction based on the players that they have on their roster. You see people yes. come in and you know, they're just like, Hey, I'm going to do a three, five, eight, or, you know, a two, five, eight, three, or a three, five, eight, two, or a three, five, seven, three, or a two, six, eight, two, you know, I'm just going to do that. And it doesn't matter yeah. who I draft. It doesn't matter what I get. Like that's my strategy. Uh, and that's totally wrong because you really want to be altering your roster player allocation based on the players that you have. And so, you know, you don't want to draft three QBs if you have two guys that you think are going to be in the top 12. You know, you don't want to draft six RBs if you use three of your first five picks on an RB. You don't want to draft, uh, you know, seven wide receivers in a row on a zero RB team because you don't need to have nine total on your roster on a zero RB team where you have three or four really strong ones. And I don't think people factor that in nearly enough. So when we say go into a draft with an open mind, we're not just talking about players that you might select because they may fall above or below their ADP uh, or how many quarterbacks, running backs or wide receivers that you're going to have um, or, you know, the roster archetype that you're going to use. You really have to have an open mind to all of that. Uh, you should never go into a draft thinking to yourself, I know this is going to be this. I know this is going to go this way. I know I'm going to get that player. Uh, mm -hmm. If you do that, you're going to end up really handicapping yourself overall. Could not agree more. The final thing that we'll talk about, and we're going to bring it back to the first thing that we led with, with these archetypes, these roster archetypes, how your roster comes to these are just throwing like how we draft into something that is known. I want to challenge listeners, and I've been trying to, to relay these thoughts through my Thoughts on three running back builds, my thoughts on three quarterback and three tight end. Just like trying to get different than the field. The field primarily drafting like one of these four roster archetypes, right? They're basing their decisions off of what has happened at the running back position. Again, like 
a good chunk of the field is just making mistakes on how they are building these individual roster archetypes, which we can just assume is leverage if we do it correctly. But I want to challenge looking at roster construction in a lens than looking at it about, you know, through the lens of how I handled running back at this on this roster. I think if we do that, we will be able to build rosters that one, the field is not building, and two, that maximize the upside. Because I had very particular ways of how I defined these archetypes, uh, which again was just a how I allocated brain power to how I want an end roster to look. And obviously that is going to change drastically through a draft. But the reason for that is it minimizes the mistakes that can happen. And we highlighted a bunch of those on the different builds that we talked about, but it minimizes the potential for these mistakes deep in. Taking that one step further, if we look at roster construction in a different level, just looking at it through like how I handled it, I think it's going to allow us a little bit of additional slop and a little bit of additional leverage and a little bit, you know, a smidgen of a percentage uh, we're talking here, but it's going to allow us to build rosters that are different than the field. What, uh, what to say here as we wrap this up, Happy? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that, you know, there's so much buzz in the industry right now about these different archetypes and, you know, do you draft one running back and when do you draft them and what rounds do you draft them in? And I would really just encourage everyone to not be rigid. Uh, I think that's kind of what you're saying too, is don't yeah. read an article and think to yourself, Hey, the guidelines say, you know, for this archetype, I'm supposed to draft running backs in this round. And so I'm going to do that no matter what. Don't think that way. Right. That's why when I wrote my article about roster construction, I called it guidelines because they're guidelines. If you see somebody fall two, three rounds below their ADP, draft them. I mean, don't think, oh man, this is a, you know, zero RB team and it's round whatever. And I already have two RBs. If the value is there, then take advantage of the value in that draft. Um, so I think that's kind of what we're both saying is don't be rigid in your thinking. Be very fluid. Be very open-minded. Every draft is different. And look at these archetypes as guidelines because a lot of the field is going to be too rigid and think, oh, I'm not doing the optimal superhero RB team because I took a running back in round nine and I'm not supposed to take my second running back till round 10. Don't be that guy. Uh, think about the players available. Think about the team you have um, and just always be thinking as that draft is going on. And think about the archetype of the players that you're using on these builds. And we talked a lot about like the strapping on three condoms. That, that type of thinking is going to go a long way into maximizing your weekly uh, or I guess your potential for weekly upside. I did have any uh, parting shots or, or closing remarks here. Uh, it's, it's been a blast doing, uh, this so far, getting into the best ball season. You know, this is my first year really going headlong into best ball and, uh, I'm excited to, uh, be doing more of it. Uh, I'm going to be tweeting a lot of stuff at Pappy324 this year for DFS. So guys feel free to follow me and, uh, probably going to be tweeting some stuff about yearly two before that. So just can't wait for football. I'm ready. That's right. And we will see you when the season starts in them, uh, DFS plus streets. Let's go, man. Uh, I had a blast, Pappy. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, it was awesome digging into your awesome contributions to the Best Ball Plus product. Again, 
you are thinking about checking those out, you know, in my totally biased opinion, the penultimate theoretical best ball content that you will find, and it is available to you for the low, low price of $1. So if you're not, uh, I got nothing else for you. Check that out. You'll find us again next week back covering some more best ball theory. These podcasts Friday, and we've got some solid guests coming up. Do not miss it. I am Hilo out. We will see you in draft lobbies. See you.